This is my favorite way to multitask, as I stand here and watch myself up there. So that works out pretty well. All right. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. What you see on the screen are two words. Jesus provides. That's what we see in our gospel lesson for today. But I'd like us to think about those two words as we think of four other words to help us look at those two words. Those four other words are why, what, how, and now. Why, what, how, and now. As we do that, why? Why did Jesus provide? And if we look at our text, what we, what we see is in verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is one of those, those words that's just hard. Once you hear it in the, in the Greek, it's hard to forget the Greek word. The Greek word is splokinizomai. Okay, that's the, the root word. And then this is a different ending. I'm not going to share that. But splokinizomai. And so it's kind of from the bowels, from the guts. He, he had this compassion for them. Now, sometimes what we do is we think of what God is like based on what's happening around us. And it's just so interesting how we keep looking at the pandemic and the other issues that we go through in life, the restrictions, all of that. And we start to say, therefore, God is like X. As if there's no room for God to work in unique and interesting ways. Still with compassion. Is it compassionate for God to change our lives that we might focus more fully on Jesus? Is that compassionate? Is it compassionate for God to, is it compassionate for someone to break open a wound so the pus can get out so they can heal? Is that compassionate? Does it feel compassionate when they're breaking it? When I was running backwards in gym class years ago, 16, 15 or 16 years old, because I was just getting ready to take my driver's tests. Okay? So a farmer's permit, probably 15. So I'm running backwards, and I fell, and I, and I broke my left wrist, broke my left arm. Okay? And they went in, and they set it in a little town of Laverne, Minnesota. And they didn't set it right. So then I had to go later to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You know what they did? They rebroke my arm. Was that compassion? I think it actually was. I, don't, I like how my left wrist and arm works now. Not like it would have worked without that. And so, God, what we have to do is we have to remember, if we want to know the definition of compassion, is there a better one than that? Is there a better one than what all the miracles that Jesus does as he heals, as he feeds, as he raises the dead, as he does all these things for people? Our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's how he's been towards you. That's what he's like. And so why does Jesus provide? What does it come from? It comes from first his being, his nature. He is compassionate. He had just heard in the previous little bit that John the Baptist, again, they went through that whole thing about John the Baptist had been beheaded and Herod was after him. And so he goes away to a desolate place to be by himself. And what happens? The crowd gets there and he shows compassion. Why? From what? 
not only from his compassion, from his nature, from his being, which also is why he meets your needs, but secondly, because of the great need. In other places in Scripture, it says that Jesus is compassionate because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here, it's because they are sick and need healing. Is it always appropriate for us to ask for healing? Yeah. I don't want you not to ask for healing. When you're sick, when there's something broken in your life, ask God for healing. Because he sees us in our need. You know, isn't it great when we look into the scriptures and we see, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, I can't remember, it might be chapter 19. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And that man comes up and he says, you know, he wants to justify himself. He says, who's my neighbor? And basically what Jesus points out is someone in need. And so Jesus loves his neighbor with his compassion for their need. So, first word, why does Jesus provide? Because he's what? Compassionate. And because we have need. Just like they did. The next word that I want you to think about is what. What is it that Jesus provides? And for this, the, again, duh, pastor, of course we understand this. This is the easiest one we have. He provides healing. That's why they came. That's why when he was traveling by boat, they were walking on land to get over where he was so that he would heal them, which he did. That's first and foremost. But secondly, because they were there and it got a little bit late, it wasn't super late, but it was late enough in the day that the disciples said, you know, send them away so they can get some food. Then he provides not only the healing, but the food which they need at that time of the day. What I've been doing in the mornings here recently, as Pat's been gone, is I go out for a little walk in the morning because I got to take my dog out because he has a huge need to go. And so when we go out, what I try and do is I just try and think of various parts of my body because every once in a while my knees kind of hurt a little bit or other things hurt. And so I thank God for if the knee hurts a little bit, it reminds me of all those people who hurt exponentially worse than I do, and I pray for them. And if my knee doesn't hurt, then I say, say thanks be to God that my knee feels great. I thank God this last week I was thanking God for balance. And I remember one of our members who doesn't really have balance. That's why he's not able to, I mean, besides the pandemic, wasn't coming to church before that because he just has no balance and falls all the time. When's the last time you said, thank you, God, for being able to balance? Not on a balance beam, on the floor. That had been forever for me, too. When's the last time we thank God for being able to see, even though I can't see nearly as well as I used to be able to? Thank God for what I can do, even with the limits in my life. What does Jesus provide? Healing. What does Jesus provide? The food that we need, our daily bread. But along with that, what does he provide? All these things that, honestly, I just take for granted. I take for granted that even if I haven't done laundry in a week or a week and a half, I still have clothes to wear. Because I do. I take for granted all sorts of things. Jesus provides. Now, that's the first part, but I also want you to see that there's two things that are unique to Matthew's story. Again, this is in all four of the Gospels, but as I looked at this and and I checked it in the commentaries, this is really interesting for me. Two things that are in this story that you won't find in the other three accounts are these little spots. 
Jesus said, they need not go away. This is the only gospel where he says, when the disciples say, send them away, Jesus says, they need not go away. And then in verse 18, and he said, bring them here to me, speaking of the loaves and the fish. So first, they need not go away. What does Jesus provide? He provides a challenge. He provides an opportunity for us to stay engaged. Send them away. They'll take care of themselves. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You now feed them. There's a challenge there. They don't need to go away. This is what I think, God. I need this to happen. I need this. I need that. I need. And Jesus comes along and he says, I want to provide something for you. I want to provide a little pushback. Are you sure you need that? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me see if I can get there real quick. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. God offers, Jesus offers a challenge. Jesus provides a challenge to me and to my way of thinking and my way of living. One of those challenges to my way of thinking and living is in view of God's mercy to offer my life as a living sacrifice, which is completely different than what I struggle with every day, which is to live my life in a way of self-protection. How about for you? What would better define your life? Self-sacrifice or self-protect? Again and again, over and over again, God gives me all these opportunities. Does he do that for you too? All these opportunities to be present for people, to give of my time, my energy, my love, to keep studying so I know what I can share with other people and to sacrifice what I want for the sake of those around me. Jesus gives those opportunities abundantly. And there are just so many times where I'm like, no, I'm going to take care of me. Do you know why I oftentimes won't confront someone who needs to be confronted? I'm going to protect myself. That looks scary. They might not like what I say. They might not like what I do. They might not like me. I'm not doing it. How about you? Is your life one of self-protection? Has, has Jesus needed to kind of get your attention to offer, to provide a word that says, you know, that's not exactly how it goes. That's not the fullness of life. The fullness of life, as we looked at earlier today, is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that God wants me to live is to give myself for others. I've already been crucified with Christ. Isn't that awesome? And to know, to know that the scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So God's not being inconsistent here. The abundant life, the best life, the most joyful life, the happiest life 
Sorry. Thankfully, there's a lot of social distancing here today. The best life is the life of giving myself away. And is there anybody in this room that has not had at least one experience of doing that and the joy you felt in doing so? I didn't think so. Every one of you knows this to be true. And every one of you fights it, probably on a regular daily basis. You know it's true. But that self-protection, that self-centeredness, that self-obsession is so strong. And so Jesus provides a challenge to us and say, they don't need to go away. Who in your life doesn't need to go away? Who is Jesus maybe calling you to be present, to stay engaged with? That's the first one, which I think is just awesome. And if you, if you think I just for a minute, Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Who for the joy set before him. We know this is the better way. But then we go one more step. And that is, bring them here to me. Jesus provides a reminder that we are dependent on him. There is, I was again reading somewhere where someone started to pray for someone else. They just, as they were reading through scripture and they were looking at what it said and they prayed and suddenly someone came to mind and they just prayed for them. And before the week was over, that person that they hadn't thought about for over a decade called them, and began asking them spiritual questions. Dependent on the God who does things that are astounding, outstanding, they're amazing for us, right? Dependent on God. Five loaves of bread, the five biscuits, that's about right. They were barley loaves that were small, enough for a boy's lunch. He's not going to eat five hoagies, Okay? He's got enough little bit of food for himself, five loaves and two little fish, okay? That's all. And Jesus takes and breaks that and bring them to me. Jesus says, whatever gifts that you have, whatever resources that you have, bring them to me and I will bless so that others will be blessed through you. Isn't that what, Jesus, what God told um, Abraham? I will bless you to be a blessing, not a self-centered hoarder living for comforts and pleasure. And Abraham had a lot. Remember, Abraham wasn't a poor dude. He had a lot, but he was also constantly a blessing. It reminds me of Pat's aunt and uncle, part of the smallest town in Nebraska. They, and they were the wealthiest people by far in that city. And no offense, Sandy, but she drove a PT cruiser. Not exactly a status symbol of wealth. Okay? They were the most giving family we know. Amazing people. Okay? 
Jesus provides for us the challenge. He provides health. He provides food. He provides reminders of all that he's given to us that we can be thankful for. He provides a challenge for us, pushing back when we say, this is how it's got to be. And then he provides for us a reminder of our absolute dependence on him. We bring our resources that aren't enough on our own to him to give us what we need. So the question is, have you brought to him your gifts that he might make them more abundant, that he might bless others through you. It's really quiet in the room, everybody, so you can speak out loud at home, okay? Have you brought those and let Jesus do amazing things through you? Again, if we don't bring them to him, if we don't, again, we're trained in our culture to be independent or self-dependent, But what God wants is for us to always grow and grow and grow more and more to simply be dependent on him. I love this little quote, and I want to put this in right here. This is from some book I've been reading. I can't remember what book it is. Oh, Life in the Presence of God by Kenneth Boa. He writes this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned, Let him who cannot be alone beware beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Walking in God's presence and working working out our salvation happen on both the personal level and the communal level. We need time with God away from the noisy world. Yes. But we also need the encouragement, edification, rebuke, correction, and accountability of a body of believers. So many of the things we've discussed, seeing the world in a new way, God's way, battling sins so we can regain intimacy with God, experiencing and rejoicing in Him despite suffering, and much are much easier done with fellow believers in our lives. This is the system God gave us. And to think we can ignore the many parts of the Bible that talk about it is not only astonishing to me, but also foolish, Kenneth Bull writes. And I love this next part right here. It's become popular to say, I love Jesus I just don't love his people. Or I just don't like institutionalized religion. But there is a very real sense in which this is impossible because refusing to love God's people is rejecting what God told us to do. Isn't that an awesome quote? I have heard those statements again and again and again. I love Jesus, I just hate the church. Don't have any time for the the church. Okay? Really? I don't think I've ever read, even once, for God calling us to be lone rangers in Scripture. Have you? Have you read where God says, separate yourself from the body, don't be part of the body of Christ, leave them alone, they're not as good as you are, they're not worthy of your time. Have you ever found that? I haven't, I haven't seen it either. But I need the body of Christ. Maybe that's another challenge that Jesus provides. Am I isolating myself from the family of God? Or am I depending on Jesus to give me the strength to love? Maybe someone needs to be rebuked and I'm the one that's supposed to do it. And he says, depend on me for the love and the strength to do what needs to be done. To love my brother or sister not longing for their response of, oh, I love you so much. 
but doing what I do out of a response because I am loved so much by God. Does that make sense? And isn't it awesome that when we fail to do all these things, that Jesus did them all? Did Jesus not rebuke the Pharisees? Did Jesus not love and care for all these people? Did Jesus not live your life and my life for us already perfectly? Yeah. The last one I want to put in, what does Jesus provide? Jesus provides the gospel, which means every day you have hope, every day you have joy, every day you have purpose, every day you're filled with God's presence because of the gospel. Next, so we've heard why and what. Now let's move to the next part, how. Jesus provides how. Well, first what he does is he, is he, takes, and he takes this little bit of food that the disciples have brought to him, as he instructed, and then he goes and he, and he gives it to, hands it out to them, and they distribute it. Okay? Again, they pass it out. So how is it, how is it that Jesus provides? Oftentimes through you and me. And so when I'm saying, no, 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 I won't go, then God will still get it done, but he wants to use you. Stay engaged. Secondly, how does he provide? Well, he doesn't just provide so that each one of them has a little bit to eat. Because all of them have something, right? It says, it says that they had something to eat. But it's not just something. It's not like they had, each had a crumb. What does it say about them? Each one was satisfied. Whoa. If there were some teenagers there, they can eat. There's some other folks that can really eat, right? They were satisfied. But not only did each of the 5,000 plus have food, they had it to satisfy them. And then what do we know beyond that? Twelve baskets left over. And we're not talking little baskets that I you know, might see in the room around here or something, something small. These were good-sized baskets. Twelve baskets. What should that remind us of? Twelve. It should remind us of the twelve tribes of Israel. It should remind us of God feeding them in the wilderness because they're in a desolate place. It should remind us that Jesus is acting like God here, because he is, to feed them in the wilderness, all that they need to sustain them for that time. Isn't that amazing? It brings them back to God's faithfulness, and Jesus gets to show them who he is. No ordinary man. And he also does it to remind us of something else. Jesus breaks the bread and blesses it and gives it. Jesus abundantly provides the food. When we think of that, I hope as good Lutherans, that what we're thinking is Lord's Supper, where Jesus took the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood. How does Jesus forgive our sins? Abundantly. Abundantly. It reminds me, as I was reading this, of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 which says this. Now, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. 
That's how God gives. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Have you experienced that in your life? The wiping away of all of your sins? Thought, word, and deed, known and unknown? Providing us with superabundance? Not for ourselves, but to share? How then do we respond? I'll close with this. First, how we respond. So we've got why Jesus does it, what he does, how he does it, and finally, now what? Now, well, first thing we do is we, we receive what he provides. We receive his gift of grace. We receive his mercy. Okay? In view, Romans 12.1 doesn't just say, get out there and try hard. Okay? Live a life of, a, of sacrifice. That's not what he says. He says, in view of God's mercy. I have to look at it, I have to view it, I have to take it, I have to receive it, I have to take it with the mouth of my body in so I can live this new way. First, receive. And then second, be like those disciples. Stay engaged with people, be part of the process. From Jesus to me, from me to you. Amen? Please rise for our statement of belief.